Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host. For the next half hour, we'll talk quietly about something that hopefully is thought-provocative, if that's a word. I come to you from the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. It's a privilege to be able to come and share some thoughts with you each evening. I pray that God uses these thoughts to draw you to himself and not to me. These are thoughts from another person who has perspective, who's trying to think it through and trying to figure out what truth is and how to apply it to our lives. The only thoughts that actually matter are those that come from God because those are the accurate, truthful thoughts. So I'm always encouraging you to get into God's Word and to see what He says, to apply His Word to your life, to think, to ponder. Do you have time every day to just think, ponder? One of my favorite times of the day is early in the morning. Often, in our world here at northern Wisconsin, it's chilly in the morning. And I have a room that's on our house that is called the sunroom. And in the winter, early morning, before the sun even comes up, the sunroom doesn't get too much sun. It's cold. But I have a wood stove in there, and I'll go in and I'll start the fire. And I'll go prepare a cup of coffee and some oatmeal for breakfast or something. Then I'll go sit, and I'll sip the coffee, stare at the fire, and think about the things that uh, God is saying in His Word. It's my ponder time. It's time to just think about life. Those are important moments to me because that's where God speaks. And each of you should have those times in your life where you sit and you think where you meditate on God's Word, where you think things out, because the pace of life in America is so fast that we don't have time to think anymore. We can get busy from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep doing things that actually don't matter. You might say, well, come on, Dave, things matter. You you should take time to relax and enjoy life. How do we enjoy life? Were we made to work? I believe we were. When I look at my body, I, I see that it's made to work. And if it doesn't work, it falls apart. If I use it on a regular basis, if I work it, it gets stronger and stronger, and it can even do more. It's made to work. My mind is made to think, not be put on hold. If I watch too much television or listen to too many news broadcasts, my brain goes on hold. The advertisers on television know that. They try and get in your mind during those breaks from the football game. It's important that we spend time meditating and thinking and using our mind to clarify the right and the wrong that God gives us in His Word. It's important that we interact with God, that we meditate on his word day and night so that we can apply it to our lives. 
those people who meditate on God's word, they have a certain peace about them. That's what I want to talk about again tonight, as I have so often. The idea of shalom, peace. Peace that is available only to those who live their lives according to the way things are meant to be. You see, God allows us to live a life at peace when we do what we're supposed to do. If I come to God and I say, I want to live outside the realm of how you made me, then I'll never find peace. Peace comes from living in the context of reality. And reality is displayed to us by God and his word. I was reading from gotquestions.org, and I recommend that site to anyone that's listening. From gotquestions.org, I was reading this about peace, the word shalom. It said, commonly translated as peace and used as both a greeting and a farewell. Shalom has rich meaning in Hebrew. Peace is an accurate translation of the term, but shalom implies more than lack of conflict. According to Strong's exhaustive concordance, shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. It is translated success and used as a part of an inspired blessing in 1 Chronicles 12.18. Shalom is applicable to the external peace between two entities, such as individuals or nations, and to an internal sense of peace within the individual. The ESV and the NRSV title Isaiah 54, the eternal covenant of peace. In part, God promises, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. One of the names of God is Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. Let me go back to Isaiah 54, and read that chapter to you tonight. Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and the people, the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. And you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband and the Lord of hosts his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of whole creation, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, 
but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created this smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. Let me read verse 17 again. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. Going back to questions.org, or gotquestions.org, it says true shalom comes only from God. Paul explains, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That was Romans 5, 1-3 and 8-10. to We no longer are God's enemies, but he made peace with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Even more, in God we're made complete. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. The new is here. Thessalonians 5.23-24 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Philippians 1, 6 assures us that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As we await that final completion, we can trust God for our welfare. Jesus encouraged his disciples. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I always enjoy reading GodQuestions.org about just about anything. John 16.33 kind of sums it up. The peace that you and I are longing for, that the world is longing for, is found in Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no peace. People can try and find peace in having power or authority. They can try and find peace by having comfort or riches. They can be a drug addict, an alcoholic, a sex addict, a you can fill in the blank addict. They're not going to find peace. Because shalom peace, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that goes beyond any circumstance in this life, is found in Jesus alone. As I looked for more definitions from Jewish rabbis or old Jewish literature on the word shalom, I read a definition by Rabbi David Zaslow in 2004. He said, contrary to popular opinion, the Hebrew word shalom does not mean peace, at least not in the English sense of the word. It comes from a Hebrew root word that means wholeness. And what is wholeness? In the Hebraic way of thinking, wholeness is joining together of opposites. That's why we say shalom when we greet friends and when we are to wish them farewell. In the most opposite of situations, coming and going, we use the same word, shalom. There is a hidden connection to all our comings and goings. They are wonderfully linked together. When I come from somewhere, I'm going someplace else. When I realize this, I feel wholeness. And that is a source of peace. The knowledge that all my opposing energies are somehow linked and part of a single whole. True peace must have wholeness as its foundation. Well, that's interesting and another viewpoint from a human being on what the word might mean. No matter what I do, as I go through the scriptures, I see that peace means that we're living according to the way we're meant to be. We're meant to be walking with God. We're meant to be in the shadow of the Almighty. We're meant to be sheep with a shepherd. And as we live our life in the context of the way we're meant to be, this shalom follows us. There are those at peace who have been persecuted by a world that doesn't know Jesus, but they're still at peace. There are those who have been totally at peace on the day of their death because they've understood that Jesus Christ paid for their sins. Their trust and their hope was in him, and he has never denied one who has come to him. 
They're at peace during the moment in time where they leave this earth. There are those that are at peace in the middle of war because they know who is in charge ultimately and who they will face. Peace is different than liking what's going on. Certainly when Jesus had nails put through his wrists and through his legs and thorns on his head, it didn't feel good. Peace does not mean that you and I feel good, but being at peace comes from knowing that we're doing what's right or doing good. That's important for us. Paul in Romans 1, 7 talks about peace. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called by the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As these authors write and they wish us peace, there's usually something that causes the peace that they have in front of, I wish you peace. Mercy, grace, we need to understand what truth is in the world and respond to it. And from living in the context of truth, we will be at peace. Today, if you're not at peace, I think you're not focused on truth. You must be focused on something other than truth. Because if you're really trying to manipulate the system, then you're looking at something, trying to figure out how to get somebody else to do something so that you can be at peace. That's not how it works. I can get up today and I can work hard all day long and go to bed and know that God put me in the right position to have contacts with people I'm supposed to have and, and to do what I'm supposed to do and all I needed to do today is be faithful to Him. And when I'm faithful to Him, things will work out the way they're supposed to be. Therefore, I can be at peace and I can go to sleep tonight. Now, if I'm manipulating people and hoping it works my way, if I'm trying to find peace through the next big sale or what somebody has said about me on some internet site or whatever it might be, then I have a tendency to manipulate the people around me, not love them. We don't manipulate people. We love people. We don't manipulate God. We love God. We need to be careful to put things in the right perspective and always remember that God has no perspective. Throughout the Bible, grace and mercy almost always preceded peace. When you look at the book of Jude, Jude 1, 1 and 2 says, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy before peace. Grace before peace. The blessings of true believers really is the blessing of peace. The idea that God's mercy is given to us and we can count on it. Not because of our goodness and not because of anything we have done, but because of everything he has done. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. God is merciful. That means that he offers me something that I don't deserve. 
I deserve to be punished for my sin, but he offers me the status of being his child. God's mercy doesn't end with salvation. His mercy is lifelong for me. As I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, his grace starts to apply. His grace is giving me far more than I ever expected or ever could dream of or certainly ever deserved. When I understand God's mercy, I can begin to live in the context of God's grace. When I live in the context of God's grace, I live at peace. My friend, if you're not at peace today, I don't think you've thought enough about God's mercy or grace. Maybe you haven't experienced his mercy or his grace. Perhaps you're not even in God's family. See, there is no way to find shalom. There is no way to find peace apart from being in God's family and having your sins reconciled, having your sins paid for. And you can't pay for them yourself. The only payment that's acceptable to God for our sins is Jesus. That's the word propitiation that's used. But he's the only one that can satisfy God. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will never be able to be at shalom or at peace like you should. It's not about being religious, and it's not about knowing about God. It's about understanding that your sin has separated you from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the payment for sin has been made. Whether you accept that payment for your own payment, or you demand to live a life in a way that you say you'll pay it for it yourself, when God said there's no way for you to pay for it, we need to be able to humble ourselves and come to God and say, you are God. Even while I was a sinner, you loved me, you provided for me, you want me in your family. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God made it very plain that he wants to extend his mercy to us. His mercy means we don't get what we deserve because Jesus took what we deserved. He took our punishment. When we accept his death on the cross as our payment for sin, then we extend ourselves into God's family and God's mercy is extended to us. But it doesn't stop there. Now we get to live our lives with God Almighty as our Heavenly Father. We get to talk to Him as a Father. And He is there to care for us for the rest of our life and for the rest of eternity. And He is worthy. There's nobody else worthy. He is worthy. And that's where the shalom comes from. As I talk to you today, I know that my past sins are completely paid for. And I can rejoice in the fact that as it's told, and I believe Psalm 103, that 
My sins are separated from his mind as far as the east is from the west. I am totally one that will never, ever have to pay for the sins in my life because Jesus paid for them already. Oh, that doesn't mean if I do stupid things now that I'm not going to pay for it now. But as far as God goes, my sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for by Jesus Christ. Not only that, I get to live today knowing that the power of sin has been broken in my life. There's no way that sin has to rule. I don't need to live as one who doesn't know God. I don't need to live as if I don't understand why the universe exists. I don't need to live in a way where I don't understand why I was created. I don't need to be adding to the confusion of life. The power of sin has been broken because of Jesus dying on the cross. I can go to God's word and find out how I'm supposed to live. I can go to his word and find out what family is supposed to be like, how I'm supposed to treat one another, what the purpose of resources are. I can do that. And because the power of sin is broken in my life, I can live at peace. And I can look forward to a time where there'll be no more sin, where the very presence of sin will be gone. The day that I close my eyes on this earth, the eternity that I'll be a part of, there'll be no sin. And I can rejoice in the fact that there'll be no sin. It's important that you and I gather that idea and live in the realm of the truth so that we can experience peace. In reality, I talked about the past, the present, and the future aspects of salvation that bring peace. You can see that delineated in Titus 2, 11 through 13. Let me read that to you. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see all three aspects of salvation in this passage. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to people, training us to renounce ungodliness. See, when we come to God, we, we experience his mercy, and we're placed into his grace. And this grace trains us to renounce the ungodliness, takes away the power of sin in the present, teaches us to be self-controlled and upright in godly lives. And while we do that, we have a one eye on the future waiting for our blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, one day. Those who truly know God, those who walk with God, those who are in God's family, those who walk in the shadow of the Almighty, they live with shalom. Oh, they have cancer like everybody else, and they have death in their families, and they have high moments and low moments, of life. There's no doubt about it. Everyone does. But the peace 
during all of those times is supplied to them because of their relationship with God. As our world falls apart, keeps talking about mental health. As we fall apart with suicides and depression and anger, the first step to reconciliation of those things is to be people who are a people of God. Those who understand the love of God and respond to Jesus become members of his family and begin to live in the context of the way we were meant to be as his children. Without that, there is no hope. And certainly there is no peace. Well, I hope that you're at peace with God tonight and that you'll bask in his mercy and his grace and his purpose for you and realize that the security that he provides can never be taken away. Once again, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Good night for now. Thank you.